Welcome to another episode of the Beer Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Crouch. Another week in quarantine has passed, and sunny weather is upon us. The reasonable bonds of social distancing are starting to feel tighter, and we're itching to get outside with family and friends. While much of the country remains locked down for the foreseeable future, some states have started to reopen their bars and restaurants. In other states, some establishments are starting to flout governmental orders by opening up to hungry and thirsty customers. It's also a time, however, where the likely length of staying at home is starting to become more clear in terms of months rather than weeks. State and local governments, as well as business owners, are developing their plans for reopening the economy and their own operations. The plans differ from place to place, with some localities more willing to assume some public health risks in favor of faster economic activity than others. The same can be said for the beer industry, with owners having a wide variety of opinions about whether to reopen right now. This week, we begin by talking with Chris Loring, the founder of Notch Brewing Company in Salem, Massachusetts. Chris is one of my favorite people to talk to about beer. He's been in the industry long enough to develop strong opinions and with the knowledge to back it up, but all without becoming too jaded. He remains one of the most passionate advocates for beer that I know, including for lager and session beer. His passion for beer, community, and music is reflected in his fantastic taproom, brewery, and beer garden in downtown Salem. It's the perfect place to drink beer with friends in the sun, alongside the canal, on a day like today. Instead, we're inside talking to each other about COVID-19 and how Notch is operating today. I start by asking him the question I ask everyone these days, if only to hear how long they pause or breathe out before responding. How are you doing? (laughs) Um, We're doing the best we can. I think it's been my stock answer for this. Uh, It's been definitely a challenge. But after, you know, eight, nine weeks of this, we're our heads above water. It's not ideal by any means. And we can see a path where we can get to the other side uh, as long as it takes. But it's going to be a grind. It really is. And in the early days, what were the what were the first steps that you took? Oh, God. Um, realizing cash is king, not pay a single bill and just surround the you know wagons and figure out what we had to do. Um. A lot of brainstorm sessions um, with staff, um, a lot of iteration on what could we do safely, um, what did our customers think was safe, um, and then what do we had to do to just keep uh, you know the operation afloat um, for a sustainable period of time. So it was everyone I've talked to that you know has been in the situation said the same thing. It's not even beer related, just business owner related. No one's ever worked as hard as they've worked in their life for the past eight, eight weeks, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a grind. You know, I feel better these last couple of weeks because we have, we've normalized things a bit and, you know, we have set schedules. And so that even though it's not normal, we at least um, feel we have stability. Yeah. So initially there was a lot of just so much uncertainty and anxiety and um, you know, just trying to figure out what, what to do. It seems it, right now, it seems it was, I know it was two months ago. It seems like it was forever ago. Right. You know, but um. And at that time, we just thought it was going to be, what, three weeks? Right. You know, and we were all fooling ourselves. Everybody was fooling themselves that you know, it was going to be a short-term thing. And I think now we've, we've come to the grips with this is going to be a, a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so for those who aren't familiar, Notch has sort of a hybrid business model in the sense that it 
has a you know very popular, very successful tap room up on the North Shore of Boston uh, in Salem. One of the best places you could you could go to have a drink on a day like today. Beautiful, bright, sunny, warm day. Um, hope to be back there soon. Uh, but also you do contract brewing as well uh, at other locations. How is th- how much of a help has that been? Uh, just having your footprint out in the in the distribution market. It, 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 our model is not an easy one. Where we do you know twenty percent of our production in Salem, we do beer to, uh, for wholesale out of here as well. But the, the vast majority of our beer comes from two other locations. We contract at um, at Harpoon, and we also contract at Two Roads. And um, that diversification diversification has really helped us. Um, it, one, not to have interruption of supply of beer, and uh, two, to have you know revenue stream of uh, beer coming in from wholesale. And we're fairly unique in that our, for a small brewery, you know, 10,000 barrels, we do a significant portion of our business through 12 packs, you know, 12 ounce, 12 packs. And that's the package right now that is really flying. We, we've never sold so many 12 packs um, in the history of the company in a month. Um, that's come at the expense of you know, on-premise. We don't have our draft business we used to have, so it hasn't made up for that, not even close to that. But it has allowed us, again, to you know keep our head above water and and um, to remain you know viable um, you know for the foreseeable future. So yeah, it, it has helped. It wasn't the intent of the model, right. but it has helped. In looking at other brewers, uh, you know, is it you know that lack of diversification? How bad is that hurting people at this moment? Well, if you rely solely on people walking through your door for the experience of your tap room and selling beer directly, directly to them for high margin and you know, um, control controlling your destiny, it's it's really hurting you right now because you don't have another outlet. Um, you know, if you don't have a canning line, you, know, um, you don't use mobile canning. I mean, what are you doing? You're filling growlers, and I don't think that's a sustainable model for anybody. Um, you know, I, I see it here in Salem. If you just take a look at our Salem operation. Um, we did basic canning once a month um, through Ironheart, through mobile canning, and the rest of it was all the business over the bar. And so all our business over the bar has gone away. And now where we used to do once a month, we're doing basically every two weeks, um, four times the amount of quantity of cans out of here that we used to. So we, Stalemont is now doing much more in terms of, of canning than we ever have to sell curbside direct to the consumer. So I guess if you were d- dependent on just to the, you know, your tap room and you've been able to have a facility where you can do mobile canning and you can't, you know, pivot to curbside, you, you can, you can ride this out. Um, you know, just you know, access to materials, access to cans, access to labels, um, and then being able to brew beer at that scale. Um, you know, the margins are terrible, right? I think everyone knows that, that the, the package beer you're selling from a small facility, the margins are not great. You get some of that back because it's direct to consumer, but it's it's not what it was when you're selling, you know, a half liter direct to the consumer in a seat. It's a different different margin um, scenario. How bad would your situation be without the without the contracting, without the twelve packs? That's a good question. I mean, all it, I guess it gets back to we would we would get through it, but the value of the company would would not be the same on the other side. So I mean, one of these things is that you know a business has value. And if I'm ever going to retire, that value is very important to me. And so if I didn't have 12 packs in the market, I think all our off-premise sales would basically be just wiped out. Right. Um, and the value, I would be watching the value of my company go from whatever it was to nothing. And I've been able to make, we, we as a company have been able to maintain that. And that's very important on the other side. 
um, that, you know, we still have that strength and we haven't lost value. And that's, that's a real concern for some, some business owners that, um, you know, just if this is a succession plan includes like the value of the company being handed to someone else or purchased from someone else, you got to maintain that, you know, and it's really hard to do during a pandemic when no one planned for it. And are you brewing more beer at, at Harpoon and Two Roads than you were before? Is it, is it basically the same or is it a little less? What's, has that changed at all? It's slightly less. It was a lot less for the first month. The first month, our wholesalers basically said, we cancel all orders, draft, obviously, and cans, and we didn't brew anything for about a month. And then all of a sudden was, how much can you make? Yeah. Because they realized that the consumer then shifted. They started understanding how to do, um, how to purchase from the local uh, retailers with confidence. And then they we saw that the um, purchasing habits were going towards um, well-priced, well-recognized volume packages. Um, so that was uh, the turning point for us. And this month um, and next month, we have more than doubled the amount of 12 packs we've ever produced in a month ever in the history of the company. Wow. However, it still doesn't make up for the, we, we have, we have pretty good on-premise business and half of our business is on-premise. Um, so we, it hasn't made up for that. Yeah. And you know, with the, with the 12 packs, are you, are, are you focusing on specific core brands or, um, have you, have you sort of tightened the belt in terms of what you're putting out there? Or are you still going through what your normal calendar would have been? No, we've readjusted this. There's no such thing as a new release right now right. for us in the market. Yeah. You know, we, we snuck out our, our 10th anniversary beer, um, it, you know, limited amount, but for the most part, our wholesales are like nothing new, nothing, nothing small volume. Yeah. Um, let's concentrate on the core brands and, and let's get behind those. And that's that's what's really been been happening. And what I'm hearing back from retailers and wholesalers for that, the consumer's not shopping; they were walking in and grabbing. Yeah. No one's making the decision when they walk through the door. Their decision's already made when they walk through that door. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think some you know more recognized um, legacy brands that were hurting because of the state of craft beer and the consumer going to new all the time now are benefiting from that that legacy status. So it, it, we all knew a shakeout was coming. We didn't think it was going to happen like this. Right. Right. And yeah, the brands you're seeing suddenly, because uh, I've seen that in my own purchasing, whether it's I'm going back to Bell's Two Hearted, or you know, I think I bought my first Harpoon 12 pack in years. You know, just yeah. it, you know, that just that just seems to be what consumers want right now. They want stability, they want familiarity, and Notch has certainly you know built that over over a decade. Yeah, and so definitely in, in the uh, the beer we sell out in the world, it's definitely seen that. You know, the beer we're selling out of the tap room because. People are pre, they're pre-buying it. You know, they're going on online. They're making the purchase online. They are shopping a little bit more. Like they they're hunting and packing. What do we have? What do we have that's new? Because they can do that from the comfort of their home and right. from their computer, and they just pick it up from our beer garden and go. So we're still offering that selection and variety out of the tap room. Um, it wasn't planned that way, but we had I don't know we have you know six lagering tanks that were filled with lager when this whole thing hit. And all that was supposed to go to draft. None of that was yeah. supposed to go to cans. And all of a sudden, we had six lagers in cans in two weeks. You know, and that really people were really excited about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, some again, nothing was really planned for the first month, and now we're starting to get into um, a routine of, of planning and, and making sure this might be the new normal for making sure we understand that this is the new normal for a while, right? And just adjust to what the consumer wants. How was your pivot to the online sales? How, you know, in the early days, how were you how were you figuring that out? Um, you know, a lot of it was seat of the pants, to be honest. 
I walked through the brewery, saw what we had in tanks. I walked through our packaging, uh, our warehouse, saw what we had in labels and said, all right, let's do that and that next time Ironheart is here. Then we sat down and saw what we didn't have for labels and what we had in tanks and said, all right, let's create labels. <laughs> so yeah. it was just like, let's get rid of the beer in process so we don't lose it. And then we ran through that and then started looking at, all right, now we're still going to start brewing beer again just for this. And let's start, let's have a cohesive schedule. Uh, that makes sense. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of plan. Initially, it was, I think every brewer went through this, was like, how do we minimize loss, right? How do we yeah. minimize waste? Because we're not going to have a lot. We have to conserve uh, cash. Uh, and now it's to the point where, all right, we understand what our business looks like, and now we got to start plan to plan around that. I know on social media, I've seen you driving around to local breweries up on the North Shore, other other folks who are in business up there. What are you hearing from them? Yeah, so last Saturday was the first Saturday I was let out of the building, um, and so I spent it going yeah. to other breweries because um, I, you know, I wanted to say hello to people because no one's really been able to get out at all. It, you know, it was just a good way to say hello, support other local um, brewers uh, and cider houses, and just I, I want to see how they were doing it too because I, I wanted to learn uh, some things. So um, the sense I got from everyone was this is like I said earlier, this is not ideal, but curbside will get us through. That we'll have our head down, and we've been able to, you know, project that curbside will get us through, and we'll be okay. And it was really reassuring to hear. Um, you know, I, I went to all shapes and sizes that day, and, and uh, it seemed like everyone was fairly confident they're going to get through it. And I felt really good about that because you know, I went to the places I don't want to lose because they're friends and I like them. You know, you obviously with the tap room, you had a fairly sizable, you know, staff there. What did you know? What have you had to do in terms of keeping on? brewing staff or, or support staff to help you with the sales or is it is it down to one or a, just a handful of people well i have 35 employees uh, part-time and full-time and on march 16th i let i let go um i let go 30 of them it was basically a furlough yeah um and was not really understanding what was going to happen because again i had to conserve cash but then also i needed to retain some employees you know to one service the market our wholesalers and our retailers uh, i did so I don't want to forget them. I don't want to feel like we just abandoned them because right. we had to reserve cash. So, you know, I, I had to keep you know, one of our sales reps, Zach, who's my employee number one. He's not going anywhere. And then my tap, tap room manager and my brewery manager, I had to make sure that, you know, I had them because I can't do everything. Um, and everyone else, I just told them, hey, just stay in touch. And I do weekly. I do, you know, it, it, at the beginning, it was a lot more communication. Then there was nothing to report. So right. every other week, I'd send a company-wide email and give everyone an update. And then um, the PPP, um, Payroll Protection Program, under the CARES Act, administered by the SBA, became available, and we applied for it. And we had our application in the first day. It was open, and we received funds. Um, and it's been okay to get that money, but it's also been confusing. And, and right. there was definitely, a, it, if you talk to anyone in the restaurant world, there was no incentive for some employees to come back because they're not only they're getting their unemployment um benefits they're getting the federal six hundred dollars per week right uh, addition to that and so that's more money they would be if they were being paid to stay home on payroll so some employees didn't come back because of that and i didn't ask them to come back because i don't want them to have to lose their unemployment right um but i was able to bring back probably 80 percent i'm paying a lot of people to stay home mm-hmm. um, which the government's okay with because they just want to get people off unemployment yeah and the rest of the people I brought in who are actually doing work, I put on hazard pay, so they're getting paid a lot more money to come in because they're putting themselves at risk. Um, so, and then the main thing in all this, which you know, I don't love that in our country, um, health insurance is tied to employment. It doesn't make any sense in the world. Right. That's a whole. Other, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. 
but my employees were able to keep their health care, which is critical. I mean, I have, yeah. you know, I have you know, families who depend on me, you know, and so I need to make sure that they keep their health care. And so, you know, we're good through the end of June um, in terms of the Payroll Protection Act, really, you know, helping out to, to um, you know, finance that. And, and, and we've worked it so it's a grant and not a loan. Um, so it really is, you know, helpful. But at the end of that eight weeks, at, it, come July one, I'm like, I don't know what we're gonna do. Right. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure the tap room's open. I'm not sure right. I feel safe. I'm not sure if our employees feel safe. I don't know if our customers feel safe. You know. So I have I have another decision point at the end of June. But what am I gonna do with my staff? What are you sort of either hearing or envisioning for what may become the new normal in just the in in the near term, not not the far term? You you touched on a couple of those points, but assuming the governor and you know the local mayors allow Notch to reopen, and I'm sure there'll be restrictions, but what are you sort of envisioning at this point that looking like? Um, we won't open when, when when the green light goes. I'm not going to open for two weeks. Yeah. Because everyone who's going to go out during those two weeks are people who don't care. Yeah. They're people who just think they're invincible or don't care. They may be impacting others. Um, so we're going to sit back and see how it looks. And we're going to see where the mistakes are made or what's done right. And then formulate or refine, refine the plan we already have and then open. And what I envision is, you know, outdoor only. We've been hearing why that's safer. And we've been hearing the customers really want that, you know, um, to feel safe. And so we have the benefit that our parking lot is also a licensed pouring um, premise. So mm-hmm. we'll space it out and we'll have a lot of tables away from each other. And um, then through all the protocols based on CDC guidance and, and all that fun stuff and see how it feels and see if people will come. But I, even that I think is temporary. I think we're all kidding ourselves. All of a sudden we're just going to slowly ramp up to normal because right. we don't have a vaccine and we're going to hit winter and it's going to come again and we're going to shut down again. You know, it's really, I, I, I try to be upbeat about it, but there's, uh, there are people that look at this from an economic standpoint and how important it is. I understand that, but the virus doesn't care about what your economic standpoint is. It's going to happen. You know, so I'm more of a science-based, you know, I think most brewers are more based on like science and technology and understanding like, all right, we got to prepare for the second wave because we all know what's going to happen. Right. You mentioned that Notch is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, and I know you brewed a beer for it. Uh, this is certainly, without question, not the way you wanted to celebrate it. But <laughs> how are you? How are you feeling looking back over 10 years of Notch? Um, I'm, I feel really fortunate. Um, it's humbling that the consumers really come along and, and allowed us to be an entity for 10 years, and we've been this odd entity for 10 years. We start contract at Gypsy Brewing and then evolved into tap room beer garden and um you know that was all because people supported us uh and so i'm, I'm humbled um that this crazy idea i had 10 years ago actually you know got to be a legitimate business and then you know well-regarded business and one that's uh, profitable and employs a lot of people and makes a lot of people happy so it, it feels very rewarding um yeah it wasn't ideal we were gonna have a big party <laughs> that never happened uh, but we, you know, all the beer we we're going to have on draft, we put in the cans and sold yep. every ounce of it and people really responded to it and had fun. So, um, you know, based on the circumstances, you know, it was, it was okay. It was okay. The beer was already produced. It was already lagering, got the, some extra lagering yeah. in there, you know, so. And you've been in this industry for how many years now? Since 1993. And you've also had the experience of both opening and closing a, a shop of your own, a brewery of your own. Has that sort of informed how you handle things now or what sort of perspective has that given you i mean i'm sure it does a little bit i'm not conscious not consciously maybe um 
decisions I make, you know, are, are informed by that. You know, because my previous brewery, Tremont, which was in Boston, and at one point we were the second largest brewer in Massachusetts at a great growth rate. We just got to the point where we were just getting consumed by growth and um, the desire to grow, and it really just put us into a pinch. And, um, yeah, we had some investors who wanted to get out, and so the things aligned. It wasn't going to work out for us, so we ended up moving that business to a contract model and eventually selling it to the person that was, you know, basically doing the contracting for us. So the exit wasn't great, but it was okay. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm probably less aggressive uh, than I was back then because back then it was during the late nine, late nineties. Everyone was like, grow, 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 grow. And then the market fell, you know, it just fell to nothing. There was no growth at all for like two or three, four years. Right. And everyone was basically, um, over overcapitalized too much equipment too much debt to sustain the sales that they had so yeah those that was those are interesting times yeah you know, t- today's a little different i mean i just think that the models today are a little different where um you know direct to the consumer um higher margin beer you know beer's not you know there was a downward pressure back then on what you could do what you could sell the beer for which affected your margin so there's a lot of different factors at play that today make it a little bit um more um forgiving or a little more favorable to be a brewer um you know, until this hit and God knows what it's going to look like on the other side, yeah. you know, so. you had, um, at least one, if not, I think two expansion plan- plans in place. You were opening, hoping to open a new tap room in Brighton, which is a, just sort of part of Boston. Um, and also I think they're either it might've been completed or you're still, we're working on an expansion at Salem. Is that right? Yeah. So Salem, we've, we've completed it here okay. and if we just in time because it allows us to do mobile canning. That was the whole idea here yep. and increased capacity. So that just really served us well. That expansion just before this hit was really important for us. And I'm glad we did it. Um, Brighton is just put on the pause button because construction has been halted. So our equipment's ordered, our financing's all there. We've just paused um, so that we can open next year. We were slated to open uh, September of this year, which was even an aggressive schedule. But the last thing I want to do is open up in November, December of this year right. and then be closed down. So we have our, it's an interesting project in that it's on the National Historic Register, the, the property. Uh, and our landlord is a nonprofit, the Architectural Heritage Foundation. Uh, and they their charter is more to save this building and to caretake to this building to make sure it is uh, viable you know, for a long time. So it's not really profit driven. Right. So it's it's we, I feel very fortunate to have yeah. a landlord that I have there. And they've been great to work with. And they say, okay, Chris, next year, that's good. Let's, let's see how we can make that work. So it sounds like, we're a, move. yeah, it sounds like a perfect kind of situation though. I have to admit as someone who lives reasonably close to where that location is, I'm bummed not to be able to see it this year as I'm sure you are. Yeah. But I feel good about opening next year. Cause you know, I'm pretty sure that by that time, by we get warm weather next year that, you know, our governments collectively around the world will have opportunity to address this and that we'll, uh, may have a vaccine. We'll hopefully have a new administration in the White House yeah. uh, that can handle this this crisis, and then um, you know we'll feel good about it. Um, I know also seeing on social media that you had or a little earlier this year gotten to spend some time in the Czech Republic, uh, both drinking and doing some brewing. You know how how was that trip, and you know what what sort of are the purposes for for doing that? You see a lot of folks who have been in the beer industry, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, and it comes a business you know you're one of those few people who i've met over the years who seems to that passion for beer and that passion for brewing and that passion for knowledge it doesn't seem to have subsided at all no it hasn't you know, you know I, 
I didn't think it was unique. I mean, I got in this business because I wanted to be a brewer. You know, you know, at, at the heart of it, I'm a brewer. I'm also a business owner, and I, maybe it's unique because our model. I, I still brew, and I still physically brew. I'm 55 years old, and I still go in the brewery. And I'm, brew, I'm brewing, right? And um, not a lot of 55 year old business owners of a brewery will still do that, right? But that's what drives me. And uh, experience to me is very important. And you, you can really only understand beer if you go to the place where it's produced and brewed and consumed and, and get a sense of all of it. You know, and the Czech Republic's a wonderful place for that. I, my first trip there was 2005. Um, and, you know, I've been back, you know, a couple of times since then. This, this recent time I went with Brienne, my production manager, and she hasn't been. And I've been, we've been producing Czech beers for, uh, I've been brewing with her for three years since I hired her. And I really want her to go experience it because it's really important. And you get, you get a different sense of it. Um, so that was part of that. It was just, you know, a, a cultural learning trip for the company and, and to, you know, just see what's going on um, in the Czech Republic and talk to brewers and see how, how things are evolving. And as much as you think you know stuff, you think you're, I get it. You, you always learn little things. Right. You, walk into any, you walk into any brewery, you learn one thing. You know, it may be, it may be what not to do, right. but it's usually like, oh, okay, I like that. You know, and there was, we, had a, we had a couple of those moments and it was really satisfying. It was fun. Yeah. yeah, it was in February, and we got in just under the wire. Yeah, yeah I'm jealous of that. That looked like a looked like a good trip, but uh, hopefully was... one day soon we'll be able to return to that. Yeah. Um, as for now, Absolutely. what uh, you know, what sort of things are keeping your spirits up? What are you What are you looking forward to? What sort of you know, we try to end on a little bit of an optimistic or a positive note? What do you What do you have for us? I mean, this will end. You know, this will be over. You know, the, the, our culture will survive. It may look different on the other side. And it may take longer than we're all thinking. And if we're fooling ourselves, it's going to be shorter. And if that gets us through, that's okay. But things will get back to normal. They will. We just, you know, we can't be defeatist about it. And, um, you know, I have my moments, believe me, where it's really difficult. But you got to take a step back and realize we're really really fortunate um, that, you know, um, the United States has been through things like these, this before, right? We've been through plagues. We've been through wars. We've been through great disasters. We've been through terrorism. We've always come out the, the backside. Okay, right? It's okay. It's not ideal. I mean, people get hurt. People die. It's 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 horrible in a lot of ways. But I think, you know, you have to be an optimist and understand there's, there's, there's the other side. We'll get to it. Chris, I look forward to seeing you soon. Hopefully, I look forward to having a beer when the things open up and things stabilize a little bit and sitting out on that glorious patio at Notch and having a having an absolutely beautiful lager sometime soon. Yeah, I'm really tired of drinking beer out there by myself, so I look forward to having everybody <laughs> back. <laughs> I bet. I bet, buddy. Thanks, Andy. As he does most weeks, John Hall, the editor of Beer Edge, joins us now on the podcast. Hey, John, how you doing today? I'm all right, Andy. I'm... Uh... Itching to get outside, even if it's just my yard, because that's about as far as I can go these days, along with everybody else, and uh, to their own yards, as it were. So, uh, you know, but the nice weather is here, and it, it, it brings more hopeful thoughts than maybe weeks previous. Yeah, the spirits definitely change here, and I certainly speak for myself. You know, the sun comes out, I get a lot happier, and, you know, here in the Northeast, specifically in Boston— we basically had like a second winter the last couple of weeks. It's, you know, we, yeah, you guys we, had snow last we had week. Snow last week. It's just you know, and we, but today we have finally hit the glorious seventy degree mark, and you know, time to get outside. Maybe have a beer outside later on tonight, and looking forward to it. But also with the change in the weather, this is also starting to really put a bit of a stress test on this whole idea of social distancing and and staying at home. I think it is. Uh, and the brewers that I've been talking to this week have really started to 
they're itching to reopen. You know, they've been doing everything they can to keep the lights on, everything they can to keep as many people employed and to, to keep beer flowing. Um, but now that, you know, there's nicer weather here and the whole mindset, it's not just from a business mindset, but I think it's a personal mindset of let me get outside. Let me start thinking about summer vacations. Let me start thinking about, uh, you know, socializing and, and just sort of being out in nature or being out in the world in, in, in warm weather. Um, brewers and I think everybody in the hospitality industry is going to really start to face this this test of, OK, states are starting to reopen. Um, is it actually safe to do so? We're hearing you know, conflicting information all the time uh, from folks. So I, I think everybody's going to be dipping their toe in the water as best they can. Um, and what I've been seeing and from some some of the brewers that I've been talking to as well um, is outdoor space as it were. Right. So if, uh, if, if a brewery has a really nice outdoor patio, um, then they might do really well uh, because you can open it up to maybe 50% of, of what it normally is. And uh, you know everybody has PPE for their staff now or should certainly have PPE for their staff. Um, you know, everybody's putting cleaning protocols into place of, you know, every time you're going to sit down at a table, uh, it's going to be wiped down the second you leave. Um, you know, I've been talking to some breweries who are saying, you know, we're going to get rid of tasting flights. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, single glasses of beer if it's eight ounces or 16 or, or whatever, um, just so that there's fewer contact surfaces as well. Um, but when breweries start to reopen, I think a lot of these places are going to feel different, uh, but they're also going to look different. Uh, you know, people are have been busy changing their layouts or putting their tables into storage, uh, you know, just to you know, make it feel you know, like it is more sparse because that's what it's going to be. Around the country, it really sort of depends on where you're at about these reopenings. We've had some states that may have had, you know, if any closings, just very limited closings and obviously very few cases there. And then in other places, you know, especially the places around where we live, things are a little different. Also, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, that we're going to be seeing is in a place like Boston, outdoor space is not just at a premium, it just almost doesn't exist. We don't really have a ton of patios or a ton of beer gardens or outdoor spaces, um, which is why, you know, when there a couple of them are open, they're kind of overwhelmed. I, I long for for places you know like rural North Carolina and other other breweries that I've been to that are on a few acres of land and they just have picnic tables and and blankets and other things just set up for people to just hang out outside. I've, I I long for the breweries in those spots, but I think places in more rural or more urban environments like Boston, New York, like it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough reentry. Yeah, and and you know there are some breweries that are uh, not. Um going to reopen, even if everybody else is as well, because they really are thinking about, you know, their staff and they're, they're taking this uh, pandemic very seriously, and they don't want to necessarily rush into something or be responsible for uh, promoting this, this virus uh, uh, becoming, you know, worse. Um, you know, I, I was reading the other day that down in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Champion Brewing Company uh, was saying that, you know, even though the state is allowing for some reopening of phase one, uh, this week that they're not going to, um, you know, they're saying that they're actually going to take the extra time to quote, continue developing plans for safe outdoor seating as we carefully weigh our options moving forward, taking into account all the information at our disposal. So just because some states are saying, yeah, go ahead, doesn't mean that everybody's going to be doing it. And there's obviously financial ramifications with that, but there's also 
know, it seems like morality and right. worrying about, uh, you know, other people uh, is, is playing heavy into this. You know, the other thing that Champion brought up and that I've been actually uh, talking to a couple of folks this week uh, is it's not just outdoor space that needs to be sanitized. Um, but when we're drinking beer, one of the byproducts is frequent trips to the restroom. Right. And so how do you keep those clean? You know, and most of the time you'd get it cleaned once or twice a shift maybe. And, you know, hopefully people wouldn't you know, be too gross. Uh, but here, if you're going to have somebody in close proximity and touching handles and touching doorknobs and, you know, all sorts of other things, you got to start thinking about those rooms as well. So there's, there's going to be no easy answer. Yeah, not not to turn this into a bathroom podcast, but it really is. Uh, it, <laughs> it's necessary. It's, it's going to be a, it's gonna, it's going to be a tough situation, and that is kind of the number one the number one thing to think about here for, uh, in terms of how how things are going to move forward. Because indeed, this is going to be a massive point of of contact at a mon- massive point where social distancing is not going to be, you know, really able in terms of in terms of what people are going to be able to avoid coming in contact with, and so. Uh, as a, as you said, as a natural byproduct of of this particular consumer product good, it's it's going to be something that's going to be incredibly difficult to deal with. And I I think I agree. I've I've heard, you know, there are obviously some breweries some like Sunday River up in in Maine that are just sort of very much the outlier, <laughs> the outlier trying to trying to you know defy governmental orders. But I think a lot of other places are being a lot more cerebral about it, a lot more careful and. They indeed they want to protect themselves, their families, their staff, their patrons. They're being very thoughtful about it, and I agree. I'm hearing from brewery owners and 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 people who run tap rooms saying that we are not going to rush to be first out of the gate. We're not trying to get across the start line as one of the first, but we may hold back a week or two just to see what other other places do and what works and what doesn't work. Because I don't think any of them want to rush out and then to the extent that governments start doing contact tracing. Turns out that you know you were the place that had a super spreader that you know started eighty new cases with your you know with your your patrons. Exactly, exactly. So, like everything else, it's uh, we're a little bit closer to something, but what that something is, right? We still don't know. Yeah, and it's starting to look very much like a lost summer. You know, even if it's at you know twenty or thirty or fifty percent capacity, it's still still going to hurt. So, you know, a lot of brewers are talking about. You know, making do with the model that they have right now, and and trying to trying to just ride this out for some period of time. Also cognizant that you know this is you know not going to just be done in a month or two or three months, but there may be another wave in the fall. But I you know I don't know about you, but I'm starting to hear it's kind of a mix of of optimism, acceptance of the new normal, and you know with tinged with some desperation, depending on who you are and 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 sort of what your business model is at this point. Yeah, no, de- desperation, I think, is certainly, uh, it, it's starting to, to creep in a little bit more. Some brewers who got the uh, payroll protection program, uh, that bought them some more time and a little bit of breathing room. But if those funds run out, then it's going to start to be uh, you know, difficult again uh, for, for folks. And, um, you know, and as the economy continues to change and more and more people lose jobs uh, and start to tighten their belts, and if, you know, there, there's a you know, huge economic shift, which there has been, and people start thinking about discretionary spending you know some of the you know the higher ticket beers that are out there uh, are going to be harder and harder to sell um the one thing that i will say that i think is worth pointing out especially with with the new norm and i was talking to neil witty uh this morning and he's the draft quality ambassador for the brewers association and all-around good guy uh and he 
He e- really hates excel- excellent, excellent karaoke guy. Oh, he's he's amazing at karaoke, as uh, as, as we can attest and have the video. Um, but he, uh, you know, he he hates crawlers, and he was saying, you know, they're they're, they're such an inelegant um, uh, vessel for beer, and that they really shouldn't be around. But uh, and he was saying that he had never really bought many before this pandemic, but now he finds himself buying them just to simply support local breweries. Um, But one of the things that he points out is that, you know, you really do have to consume these beers quickly and that a lot of brewers aren't necessarily as they're selling these beers and breweries are as they're selling these beers and crawlers aren't necessarily telling the public, Hey, drink this today, you know, like by this day of to be consumed day of. Um, And that, education has to be a part of it because as the beer starts to degrade and if somebody holds on to a beer for you know a week or so drinks it doesn't like it and then gives a negative review or takes to the internet to complain about a beer uh, that's just going to be some bad publicity and some bad press that a brewery just doesn't need right now and is something that is completely avoidable so if you're doing crowlers to go um you know certainly be mindful of telling everybody you know, drink this immediately. And also, uh, though it seems to go against common sense, you might also want to tell your patrons that these are not regular sized beers, because I have to say, I have a lot of non-craft beer nerd friends on these Zoom calls that I've been having. I've been noticing oversized cans, and I said, what are you drinking? They're like, well, I'm just drinking a can of beer. I was like, that's a crowler, and you're just drinking it like (laughs) it's an eight, it's an eight and a half percent double IPA that you got from the local brewery. And they're like, well, so what? Like, you know, it's Tuesday. And I'm like, well, it's Thursday, but that's, that's, that's another problem. Well, that's uh, I like your hearty Midwestern folks that you're hanging out with and drinking. That's, uh, yeah, that's my are, kind of people. We are a tough stock. But uh, thank you for joining us uh, this week, John. And uh, of course, we will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beer Edge podcast. This show is produced by Beer Edge and co-hosted by myself and John Hall. We're available on Twitter, Instagram and others at the Beer Edge. And check out our new updated website for more great beer content beeredge.com. And if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Beerscribe or via email at andy at beeredge.com. We appreciate any reviews you can give on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Beer Edge Podcast. Until then, stay safe and healthy.